Hey there, educational rock stars. Are you feeling overwhelmed with lesson planning for your English language learners? Well, I've got some exciting news for you. Introducing our upcoming free webinar, Simplify Your Approach, Three Time-Saving Routines for ELL Success. Join me for a power-packed 45 minutes that's set to revolutionize your teaching strategy. In this webinar, we'll dive into three practical, easy-to-implement routines that will not only enhance your ELL teaching methods, but also save you hours of planning time. Yes, hours. So whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, these insights are tailored to help everyone make the most of their teaching time. Plus, you'll leave this webinar ready to implement these routines the next day. So mark your calendars for our two upcoming dates. I don't want you to miss this opportunity to transform your ELL lesson planning. To reserve your spot, simply sign up at www.equippingells.com slash routines. Trust me, your future self will thank you for it. I'll see you at the webinar. Teaching ELL students is a privilege and a joy. Is it easy? No way. But with the right support, you can feel empowered to tackle each day with ease and confidence. I'm your host, Beth Boucher, founder of Inspiring Young Learners. With over 10 years of teaching both nationally and internationally, I know what it takes to ensure that your ELL students have what they need to thrive today, tomorrow, and for life. I'm on a mission to empower you to equip your English language learners. Welcome to Equipping ELLs. Let's get to today's episode. Well, welcome to the show, Jocelyn. I'm so, so, so excited to have you here today. Thank you, Beth. I'm excited to be here. I just absolutely love meeting people. And that's why I love doing the podcast so much. And Jocelyn and I were able to meet at the TBT conference last summer. We're both in the Chicago area. Well, I, I grew up in that area and she's living in that area. And we met at the TBT conference and it was such a blast to get to talk to you and hear about your podcast, which you can share more about at the end and just get to know you. So I'm super excited to have you on today and share more about how we can create a culturally responsive environment in our schools for all teachers, all roles, all staff, and why this is important for our students. So why don't you just start with sharing briefly about your educational experience and what you're doing right now? Okay. So my name is Jocelyn Hubbard, and I have over 16 years of experience in education in a variety of different ways. And Honestly, if I kind of count some of the dibbling and dabbling I did while I was an undergrad, maybe even more than that. <laughs> but, but overall, I, I got my undergraduate degree in ELA and social studies. And so I taught seventh and eighth grade social studies for a number of years, completely loved it, was energized by the classroom and that experience. There were some significant experiences that I think planted seeds for me. So for example, I taught in a small town called Red Springs, North Carolina, where the majority population are members of the Lumbee Native American tribe. And that Mm. completely shifted my perspective on who I am, the things I had been taught and the way that we were guiding and instructing children. And honestly, like even as a black woman, 
in being able to engage with indigenous peoples, again, it just, it gave me a total, totally different understanding of BIPOC, right? People that are, are part of brown and black culture. It gave me a totally different perspective on their lived experiences. In addition, I was raised up North. So I live in Chicago now, but I was raised in Cincinnati. So Midwest, Northern girl, moving mm-hmm. down South, completely different wow. quote, culture. Yeah. So now I shifted out of the classroom after I became a mother, we moved around a bit and I became a literacy consultant, worked for Scholastic and HMH for a while. Then I branched out on my own, started custom teaching solutions. And I've been doing that for six years, working with schools and districts across the nation to train and coach teachers on becoming and remaining culturally competent. Excellent. Wow. What a story. I love that. And those are the voices we need to hear is just seeing your journey and your perspective and what you've gone through and seen as you, I mean, that's just incredible. I love hearing that. And that's why the schools need you to come in and help share that because each of our perspectives are so unique and so helpful in creating this culture that matters for all students. Hey there, I wanted to quickly interrupt this podcast episode to share with you the exciting giveaway that I am doing during the month of January. To celebrate the one year of equipping ELL's podcast, we are giving away to 10 lucky winners a resource of your choice from the Inspiring Young Learner store. And to five lucky winners, you can win a grand prize of a one year membership to equipping ELL's. Here's how you enter first, leave a review on wherever you listen to equipping ELL's. Each review will be counted as an entry. For any additional entries, post on Instagram and tag Equipping ELLs with your favorite Equipping ELLs episode. And for additional entry opportunities, you can share this podcast with a friend or coworker and share the screenshot with me through a DM on Instagram. Thanks so much for listening. And I'm excited about this opportunity for you to come join me inside Equipping ELLs. I can't wait to dive in. This is going to be a good, a good episode. All right, let's start because we have a lot to talk about today. But why don't you just briefly give us an overview of what is culturally responsive teaching and why does it matter more than ever? Absolutely. Culturally responsive teaching, culturally relevant teaching, culturally relevant pedagogy. It is a pedagogy that encourages teachers to use the culture of their students in order to guide the lessons. So this is a pedagogy that essentially was brought to the forefront by Dr. Gloria Ladson Billings. And Mm -hmm. many people have continued to iterate on her work and do additional research. But basically, she was encouraging educators based on the research that she was doing and the observations in classrooms to engage with students in in a much more connected way to say, hey, guess what? It's not just about the content and the curriculum. It's about how you connect that content and the curriculum to the students and making it relevant to their life. Absolutely. Yes. And now more than ever, you know, this is crucial as we welcome students from all over the world into our classrooms. What a gift that we have to teach the global community and not have to leave your neighborhood. I know many of the listeners here on this podcast, our ESL teachers are passionate about creating that that culture in the school where all students feel accepted and welcomed, where they're connecting to the cultures that are being brought into their school. So I know they're really excited to hear 
what that looks like, what are some tips to do that? Because I think exactly that's right. We we miss out on so much of our students when one, we don't connect to them and and show them that we are for them, that we're excited they're there, that they are welcomed just as they are. I'm so glad to see this shift because I know growing up in the suburbs of Chicago, you know, it was a very even we had bilingual classrooms. And that's kind of the funny thing is sharing kind of my story. I grew up in an area that did have a lot of second language speakers. And I grew up my whole elementary career having really no connection and no experiences of being friends with those students because they kept us separate. They kept the bilingual group in one class and then all the monolingual students. And what a tragedy that we never had that opportunity to connect and see the beauty of languages. Where fast forward now, I my girls are in a dual language school and there's just languages going on all the time, all these students from all over the world. And it's such a beautiful thing to see what happens when we create these classrooms where the cultures are the forefront and the students are welcomed and accepted. And it's really a beautiful shift. So, yeah. (laughs) Well, I think think that also one of the great things, so we moved from South Carolina up to Illinois. And one of the things that my own children have said is that they love going to school here. They totally loved South Carolina, but there wasn't as much ethnic diversity and racial diversity in the area where we lived. Mm -hmm. But now, and as you know, growing up in the Chicago area, there are so many different types of people living these different experiences. And when my kids come home and say, oh my gosh, we got a new student in from Egypt and he speaks Arabic and there are multiple other kids in my class that speak Arabic and we are able to use translating devices and go onto this, you know, this app right here and say, how do I say this in Arabic or how do I say this in Spanish? They are completely immersed in this multicultural experience and they love it. They absolutely, absolutely. love it. Oh yes, I know. And that's something so exciting to see. I'm sure you feel the same way as a parent to see your kids be so just open-minded and seeing this global community. I mean, my daughter came home, she goes, mom, we have a new girl that's from Norway and she speaks four languages. Her dad's from Syria and he speaks Arabic. And I'm, and she's in first grade. I'm like thinking when I was in first grade, I don't even know the next town over. And she knows these countries in the world and the languages they speak. And so it's just, I think that's the big point is our students, our kids are already there. They're already in a situation where they're so welcome and accepting and ready to embrace cultures. Now let's get the teachers and the staff there because they're, they're ready for it. So there it is. Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) let's dive in and just walk us through what does it look like to develop cultural competency as a school? So we're really kind of focusing this podcast series is looking at small steps that the whole school can take for our ELLs to succeed because sometimes it feels overwhelming. It feels like we have a lot to work, a lot of work to do, which we do, but sometimes we let that stop us from even making that first step. So I really want to break it down into really actionable steps that we can take. So why don't you share a little bit of of what we could do? I love that you kind of framed it that way because I do think that there is so much going on in education that all of this can feel overwhelming, but the reality is all of these things are interconnected. Mm -hmm. They really do all work together. And when we as educators are focused on understanding what it looks like to be culturally competent and utilizing trauma-informed practices and SEL strategies. Those, all of those things go together because it's, it's, those are practices that help us get to know ourselves and they also help us get to know our students. And so 
that is essentially what cultural competency is. It is knowing yourself and being aware of your culture because that's the rub, Beth, is that even as ESL teachers who are so open and embracing cultures, many times we have this kind of blind spot, I guess, if we want to call it that, Mm -hmm. to being aware of the fact that we all have a culture. And when I'm leading workshops with teachers, that is where the magic happens, is when we start to break down this definition of culture and identify the places where we are all culturally different. So mm-hmm. looking at our ESL students and our, our multilingual learner students, right? however we want to kind of phrase yeah. that, mm-hmm. it's not just about, oh, they are culturally different. No, no, no you are also culturally different from Mm -hmm. them and from the teacher in the next room from you and from the administrators and all of those things. So understanding who you are and identifying the pieces of your culture that make you who you are, all of your lived experiences, that's the first step. And then the next step is leading with curiosity and Mm -hmm. listening to hear and listening to understand and listening to, to learn about other cultures and the way that people show up. Because again, I am a mother. Well, I didn't say this. I am a mother of five children. And even watching my five children who are being raised by the same mother and father in the same house, according to the same kind of like religious beliefs, they are still so different from each other. They are still different. And it is, I love it. It's beautiful but they are latching on to different pieces of their lived experiences. And those pieces are influencing and impacting who they become in the future. So cultural competency, knowing who you are, understanding your culture, not being afraid of all the pieces of who you are and not elevating who you are over any other culture, learning about other cultures. So after we kind of understand that that is the beginning of our journey, is stepping into a cultural competence space. Then we think about from the school standpoint, if if all of the people in the school, I mean, front office staff, teachers, paraprofessionals, cafeteria staff, everyone has this understanding that we are working toward becoming culturally competent, Mm -hmm. then the next few steps really are pretty simple. because you're constantly becoming aware of who you are and how you show up. And so naturally you're looking for ways to figure out who your students are and understand how they show up. So I guess there are Mm -hmm. kind of three steps that I would, that I would share with everyone. The first is to have an equity lens. And we, we know that equity is different from equality in that Mm -hmm. equality means that everyone has the same thing. So if I give you a red crayon, I'm also going to give Jim a red crayon. I'm going to give Sandra a red crayon. Everyone has a red crayon. But equity means that I am looking at those students and saying, hmm, there are some students that have their their fine motor skills are not as developed. So I'm not going to give them a thin red crayon. I'm going to give them a wider red crayon Mm -hmm. or maybe I'm going to give them a red pen that has one of those little grippers on it because then they'll be able to grip that much more easily, right? That's Mm -hmm. what equity looks like. And when you are culturally competent, then that means that you're constantly thinking about your own lived experience and saying, oh my gosh, am I giving all these kid red crayons because 
that's the way that I was raised or that's what my mm-hmm. teachers did. Not that they were trying to cause harm, right? But just that there wasn't an awareness. So that's step one is having this equity lens, understanding that you really want to understand what each child needs just because they are all coming from one country doesn't mean yeah. that they're all from the same city, all from the same part of the same city. Yeah, so my you name is speaking all the same language. <laughs> exactly. You can't just make these broad sweeping assumptions, yep. right? Yep. And then the second step is to use diversity affirming language. And by that, I mean, okay, how do I want to say this, right? <laughs> <laughs> Especially for my teachers that are working with multilingual learners. Mm-hmm. I think that using, using asset-based language. Absolutely. Yeah. And understanding the amazing gift, the amazing intellect, the amazing genius of these mm-hmm. children who are able to speak two, yeah. three, four, five languages, Beth. <laughs> They're my heroes. <laughs> You know, like how many synapses are going off in their brains because they are able to switch from language to language so fluently when I can barely, you know, graspfully sometimes the English language. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, so using diversity affirming language by even the, in the way that we, I guess, label, and I I hate to use that word, but Mm -hmm. in the way that we are labeling our students, the way Mm -hmm. that we are positioning them in the school community. So like you were saying, and it was the same for me when I was in grade school, that the bilingual students were kind of here and the rest of the population was here. There was Mm -hmm. no integrating, there was no elevating or understanding or respecting the fact that these children could speak multiple languages. And so I want us to be very conscious of the way that we are talking about these students and referring to them and positioning them in the school. Yeah. And then the third step would be prioritizing cultural awareness. And by that, I mean helping all of our students to understand that we are all culturally different. We Mm -hmm. can't just stop at the teachers are doing this work and just because our, our students are around it so much more that we just assume that they understand what that even means, that we're all different and unique and special. No, we have to intentionally take the time to provide reflective space for our students to think about, hey, how do your lived experiences impact the lenses through which you are viewing the text that we're reading, Mm -hmm. that you are viewing the, the movie that we're watching, all of these people that are in the movie, the events that are happening? Because Again, for our for our younger students, well, young and old, right? I mean, K through through 12, they are in some very formative years and the their their frontal lobe is not fully developed. So mm-hmm. there is a lot of, of processing that doesn't just naturally happen for them. And as educators, we have this amazing opportunity to create a space. And when I say educators, again, I mean from the front office to the cafeteria. To the custodial staff, we are all educators in that space. How can we use the cafeteria as an opportunity to celebrate culture and bring about an awareness of the things that you love and I love and we love all together and say, you know what? One is not better than the other. They're just different. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. 
Oh, that, that there's so many good nuggets in there. <laughs> this is so great. I, I want to go back to that first point you made, because I do think that is transformative and challenging to teachers to really stop and look at themselves first. And I say this as someone who has lived abroad for 10 years. And so I've walked through a lot of biases that I had that I didn't even know. I wasn't even aware that I had them until I lived abroad, until I started looking and reflecting and saying things would happen here of how people would do things. And I would say, oh, well, that's weird. And it was kind of hit me one day of like, well, that's not weird. That's different. It's different than what's my normal and what my perspective is. And so kind of reworking that language of like, oh, wow, I didn't even realize I had this here. And, and walking through that, that is that is a really necessary place to begin. So having those you know discussions with staff in a really safe place, because it does feel uncomfortable sometimes. I don't think anyone's heart, the majority of teachers, their heart is not to have these biases or to live out of those. But a lot of times, like you said, they're blind spots. There's areas that we just don't see because of our our normal, of our perspective. And I was just thinking that too, like you said, with your kids, you have five kids and you see each one of them, even though you're the same parents raising them in the same house is growing in different ways. And, and that's what you see is how people perceive things, even if they're all getting the same upbringing, how they, they catch on to one thing or hold on to this grudge or, you know, I mean, it just shapes them in so many different ways. And the same thing has happened to us. I, I really want to encourage my listeners, even when we're like, we're ESL teachers, we're, we're for all these cultures and we're, you know, but just even thinking like, is there a certain group of students you worked with where you kind of, when you get a new student that's enrolled, you kind of immediately have the stereotype around that that group. Or have you had a bad experience with a certain group of students that you kind of have that wound from that and, and you project that onto other students of that same culture? I think it's really necessary to take that time to walk through those things so that we can meet our students where they're at with a pure heart. So it's hard though. <laughs> but I well, yeah, go for, for everyone that is listening to understand that you are not alone in having bias. I mean, it is something that by human nature we have. Mm -hmm. So it's okay to have the bias, but it's not okay to not like sit with it, reflect on it and take some action and shift your practices. Right. But don't, don't sit with it and like sit in shame or, this feeling of like, oh my gosh, how could I be that way? We are all that way. And yes. like I said at the beginning, I was teaching in a small town. So that was new for me. And mm-hmm. my understanding of small town life and small town living, bias. I had biases. Yeah. Moving yeah. down south, biases. My understanding of Southern culture, bias. And mm-hmm. then understanding what it was like to be an educator of Indigenous students. And to understand their lived experiences, hello, so many times in, mm-hmm. in our educational journey. And you know what? I'll just speak for myself, right? I can't speak for anyone else. But the way that I learned about Native American people mm-hmm. was in such a way that the story started a little bit before colonization and ended, yeah, like a little bit after that. And yeah. then there was never this conversation of, modern indigenous tribes where are they are they still alive and mm-hmm. like i remember watching this broadcast where i saw a woman from the hopi native american tribe and i was like whoa 
don't even know that there was any, you know, because yeah. of what the way that, 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 that indigenous people had been positioned in education. So my encouragement is to understand that you are not alone in having your bias. So don't be nervous, like yes. sit, sit, understand that you have yeah. it and then move forward. Yes. And I think that second point you made, and that's, you know, such a great way to move forward. And this is what I've learned living here abroad is just being humble and willing to listen to people's stories is such an amazing way to one, expose biases that I've had and, and then move on and move forward and connect with new, new people, new cultures, new stories. And so that I love that point, you know, don't sit in shame and and feel bad that you have these biases. We're going to continue to have these things because as you approach new people and learn new things and dismantle things that you had learned from the past, it's a great space to say, okay, let me shift again. Let me see what what's not right here. And, and let me move forward and, and connect with people and learn. And if you have an attitude to listen and learn that you're going to be able to dismantle those biases. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So why don't you share with us just a few examples of what this would look like in, you know, actionable ways. Okay. One of the things that I always encourage as a school-wide thing, right, is to learn, continue to learn different languages yourself. Mm -hmm. Because here's the thing, it's so fascinating when I'm working with schools that have like Spanish immersion programs or French immersion programs, and there is frustration sometimes on the part of the parents or the, the greater community, like, why are we only speaking Spanish in this class? Why are we only speaking French? Like the kids are not getting it. They're not understanding. We really need to scaffold more. Mm-hmm. And I say to myself, okay, that is a valid point. Now let's let's zoom out from that. Are there multilingual learners at your school who are walking into a school where everyone is only speaking English? Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Not a single person has learned Spanish, Arabic, you know, French, any, any other language to be able to even greet them and say, hello, my name is, how are you today? What Mm -hmm. is your name? Yeah. So we have to, we have to understand that there are some, some pretty simple ways to, to kind of think about creating a diversity affirming and culturally aware space. And one of those ways would be just to learn how to say, hello, my name is, how are you? in multiple languages. And that's something that I think would really resonate from the front office Mm -hmm. all the way to the cafeteria, back to the classroom, because as a front, as the front office staff, you are the first person, you are the first people that these families, that these children are going to encounter. And how amazing would it be for them to hear their heart language being spoken? And then that's going to signal to them. I am welcome here. It is okay for me to speak in with my heart language here and no one's going to look down on me. Right. Absolutely. Oh, I love that idea. Yes. It's taking, you know, I mean, I, th- I see more and more schools putting hello or welcome in multiple languages, but taking it that step further and having that person, that secretary that greets them right away saying a simple phrase in their language, in their native language. So powerful. Mm-hmm. And then for the classroom teachers, whether you are an ESL teacher or whether you are quote, gen ed teacher that is supporting Mm -hmm. multilingual learners. Again, learning multiple languages. That's one of the things that I did that I found to be so helpful was being able to greet my Spanish speaking students 
in Spanish and say hello to them. And they would often chuckle because my accent wasn't correct or, Mm -hmm. you know, different things are different when you're thinking about like European Spanish and Latin American Spanish and all of that, but they appreciated the effort. One of the other things that I really encourage all the time is for educators to focus in on three anchor questions as they are planning their their lessons, as they are thinking about the resources that they are going to be bringing into their classrooms to support the learning. Mm -hmm. The first question is, what might my students learn about themselves? Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean their own beliefs, their traditions, and the lenses through which they are viewing the world around them. That is going to open up their classroom to these amazing conversations about how we are all different and unique, regardless of the fact that we might have the same skin color, or we might have the same religious beliefs, or we might be from the same country, right? But we are all still unique and different. And then Mm -hmm. the second question is, what might my students learn about their peers? So intentionally thinking, how do I want to structure this lesson that the children are going to be able to hear from each other and hear about each other? And honestly, I like to always go a step further sometimes and give it as an exit ticket. What is Mm. one really cool thing that you learned about a classmate today? Mm. Because then I know that they are listening to, for, for, to learn and they are listening with curiosity. So it's not just a norm on the wall, right? It's a real living thing. And then the third question is what might my students learn about the world around them? Mm. So we are always seeking to connect to the world around us And as we are doing that, then we are starting to normalize and help our students to see that being here in America, per se, and the way that things are done in the United States, that's not the way. It is just a A way, way. Mm -hmm. right? But constantly connecting to the greater world around us because our world is huge and there are so many thoughts and perspectives and beautiful pieces of, of life that people are living that our students are not even aware of. Yes. Wow. That's, I, I, I just love those three questions and something, maybe we'll put it in the show notes or a little quick printable or something so that teachers can print it out and put it in their lesson plan book. Cause I do feel like that is so powerful to constantly be having those three questions going through your head as you're, you're choosing read alouds or you're planning activities. Because the truth is the, the group of students that are in the classrooms right now, they are going to be the ones that are, you know, being spread out all around the world. The world is so small these days. And when they're 20, 25, 30, it's going to be even smaller, I'm sure. So we're really preparing all of our students for this global community. And it's exciting. We don't want their students to not be prepared to see the beauty and diversity and their and, and to really feel confident in their unique gifts that they bring into the classroom, I think is really important too. So I just mm-hmm. love those questions. Well, we are running short on time, but this was so incredible, Jocelyn. Thank you so much for taking the time to share these things with us today. Will you share with the listeners where they can find more from you? Because you have your own podcast and Instagram and resources. So please share more about that. Yes, I do have my own podcast. It is called the Culture-Centered Classroom Podcast. And I do share weekly tips and strategies for creating these welcoming and inclusive classrooms where all of your students are going to feel welcomed and affirmed and celebrated through the instruction that you're providing. I also am on Instagram. My handle is at 
I teach custom. So you can find me there, send me a DM and chat. And then I do actually have some free resources. So one is a, it's called the welcoming and inclusive classroom checklist, where I do have those three questions. And I also have some book recommendations and several other ways that you can very simply, but effectively start to create a more like diversity affirming classroom. And then of course, I've got other resources on my website, customteachingsolutions.com. And I think that's, that's about it. And you also do PD in schools, correct? Oh, yes, of course. How can I forget to say that? Yes, I do. I work (laughs) with schools nationwide. I offer coaching and workshops. And it's, yeah, it's, it's really been amazing to be able to sit down shoulder to shoulder with teachers and walk them through this journey and to see the joy, because Mm. that's the thing, right? Is to see that joy being sparked again in their eyes as they're thinking about their lesson plans and the ways that they can organize their classroom. So that's really is my favorite thing is leading those workshops and coaching teachers. Well, you're such an encourager. So you probably just bring, bring that joy into the space when you come in. So, all right. So make sure to check her out. We will put those links in the show notes so you can just click below and find them. And thank you again so much for joining us today. You are welcome. Thank you for joining me in today's episode. All links and resources mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you're looking for even more support and done-for-you resources created specifically for the needs of ELLs, head to inspiringyounglearners.com. I'll catch you here next week. Until then, take that next step to keep equipping your ELLs.